iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, we talk about Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool as he hails one of their best performances under him as they beat Manchester City at Wembley. They'll meet Chelsea in the FA Cup final after they beat Crystal Palace, but how good was Timo Werner? We'll also ask whether trophies have become too inaccessible. Also, the race for the top four, Arsenal, Spurs and Manchester United. Does anybody want it? We'll also be talking about Sean Dice's sacking at Burnley and more. This is the game. Hello again and welcome back to the Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wozencroft alongside Tony Cascarino and Alison Rudd. On this Tuesday morning, of course, I hope you all had a great Easter. Let's get straight into it with events at Wembley in the FA Cup semi-finals. And Liverpool's quest for the quadruple continues after a 3-2 win over Manchester City at Wembley on Saturday. Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool boss, saying it was one of his side's best performances under him. He said, that was the feeling I had when I saw the first half because of the quality of the opponent. We did all the right stuff. We scored in the right moments. We played an incredible game in the first half. I have to say, I loved each second of it. So, Alison Rudd, I'm going to start with you on this because maybe you've seen more of those performances under Jurgen Klopp. Where does it rank? Oh, this is this is the mind games of quadrupling, I think. I, it was a decent first half, but it was, I mean, you know, it was down... I would say down mainly to City looking tired and for some reason putting a goalkeeper in goal who hasn't played in goal very much. And he's clearly being told to play with his feet and to think about where he distributes the ball, which allowed um, Sadio Mane to creep in and score. That's an uncharacteristic style of error from Manchester City. And once you've got that sort of sense that your opposition are not at their peak and are not significantly playing the way they did in the league game between the two teams not so very long ago. It seemed to hand everything over to Liverpool. It was sort of spookily simple for them. It was so strange. At one point, I even thought that Pep Guardiola, who who does have a strange relationship to how he sets up for the big games, I even thought he was possibly thinking ahead to the Champions League final between Liverpool and Manchester City and thinking, if I play like this today, that might lull Liverpool into a false sense of security when we meet in the Champions League final in Paris. I just didn't quite understand that sense of this is still the FA Cup. Even though it's Liverpool, I'm going to treat it like an early round of the FA Cup make sure I rotate, give my goalkeeper, my second-choice goalkeeper, a chance. So I just feel Liverpool just were able to capitalise completely. And in that sense, Klopp's right. There's no point not taking advantage of what your opposition gives you. There was an energy and sprightliness to Liverpool that belied the fact they've got so many games and so much pressure and are fighting on various fronts. I don't 
I don't particularly think. I mean, it's I, and also, what's the point of picking out one half? Because the second half, City gradually decided to to go for it, and Liverpool didn't withstand it all that well. So I don't know what the point of saying one half of football's the best is seen, because as he knows perfectly well, that can be quite meaningless. Um, but if you, you know, the, the benchmark is Manchester City. And if you can make them look relatively sluggish and relatively ordinary, then you have had a good half of football, haven't you? But it wouldn't be one I'm going to look back on in 20 years' time and say, ooh, ooh I really want to pull out footage of that FA Cup semi-final. It's not going to be up there, no. I agree with what you're saying about Pep and that looking ahead to the Champions League final because I felt he did exactly the same thing in the semi-final of the FA Cup last year against Chelsea where he played Zach Steffen and quite a few changes and the system that he doesn't usually play as well um, and was beaten, of course, on that day too. But when he went to the Champions League final against Chelsea, he was beaten there as well. So I'm not really sure if he thinks it's going to work out uh, this time around. Um, Tony, what did you make of that performance from Liverpool? Well, I think certainly that Liverpool from the very start of the game had the intentions of shoving it down City's throats because they were playing a very high game for Diaz uh, coming into the team. Liverpool left out Hugh a load in midweek against Benfica, about six or seven players. The ones that are coming in are playing every bit as well. I, I thought City were poor, but Liverpool have a way that if you can leave Liverpool space, they'll exploit that. And they did. I mean, Marnie played the central role, which he seems to be growing and enjoying and looking very likely to score. Uh, Fort Diaz was terrific. Fort Thiago was terrific. Liverpool are a very good team, as we know, if you give them a little bit more space. And I found, I felt that City's uh, performance was nullified, really. Uh, De Bruyne is so huge for them that I, they're not a one-man team by any stretch of the imagination, but they certainly were affected by when he's not in that team. And I thought Thiago ran the show from central midfield. I think Thiago, you're right, showed us that world-class quality, the reason that he was uh, brought to the club. Ibrahima Kanate as well, um, growing on the Liverpool fans. What do you think about, about those two and where they're going in their careers? Well, Canate is a, a huge physical presence that dominates set pieces, as we've witnessed this week. Um, do I think he's going to get ahead of uh, Matip and Van Dijk? No, I think that's still um, Jurgen Klopp's best eleven. But when you've got a very successful thing going at your football club, players that come in know there's a standard that you have to reach. And if you don't, you won't make that team. I think Yotta was driven. It's amazing the amount of Liverpool players that have been brought in, and Yotta was certainly one, I think Canate's another, where they're not initially first choice. But they realise that unless I play really, really well, then I'm not going to get in this team. And I think that lifts their performances. I think that's happened a few times in many different positions with Liverpool. You can even say the goalkeeper, Corella, you know, when he comes in for Alisson, he's played really well. So I can remember thinking that with Arsenal and the kids and Manchester United under Fergie, that, you know, why do these players come in and they look like they don't miss them? That's a great thing to have for Jurgen Klopp. I was at, uh, Hugh, I was at the um, Benfica game at Anfield midweek where Klopp did ring the changes. And I, in my piece, I, I wrote about the fact that even the players that came in, everyone was going, ooh, you know, what a, what a lot of changes. And then you looked at the lineup and it was actually completely acceptable in terms of you went through player by player what, what their abilities were their relationship with the supporters was there was nobody there that was you could call a fringe player the only fringe 
player was Divock Origi who came on in the 91st minute. Otherwise, everyone feels like they are properly part of the squad mm. and that's down to one of Klopp's best attributes, which is his man management. If you've got that many excellent players and they're not... You sort of know who's, who is his first eleven, mm. But the people who... The players who come in, they don't ever... This season, particularly, I feel they don't look like when they're in the team when they they know they're part of wholesale changes. Mm. Sometimes, and this happens in the FA Cup a lot. You can tell the players are a bit unhappy because mm. they're being lumped in with the rest. A bit like they, Naby, Naby Kate is another one. Yeah, you, know, they, you, exactly you go, that. but yeah. they don't play like that. And no. I, I I was watching Naby Kate. Naby Kate, I think, is probably the weakest link in the squad for me personally. I'm not. I think he's taken too long to adapt to the Premier League. He's been disappointing for me. But he, he started that game against Benfica and he had clearly been boosted by mm. Klopp to say, you are very important to me. And I watched him and his body language was one of someone who'd been told to boss the game and to act like a captain. He was directing players. He was encouraged. He was clapping effort. He was acting like he was... He wasn't, but he was acting like he was the captain and he was in charge of the midfield, which he wasn't. But he was acting like he was. Right. He was full of confidence. You could you could see he'd been given the build-up. You know, don't think that you are a second-choice midfielder for me. You are crucial. Everyone in this squad is crucial. No matter how many minutes you play, when you are called upon, you are absolutely crucial. We cannot even think about the quadruple without all of you. And they've all bought into it because Klopp is extremely good at that mm. man management thing. So there's no sense of there being the A team and the B team and a few mm. C team players there at all. And you, that was palpable to me watching them play against Benfica. That It, it, it worked. And when some of the so-called first choices came off the bench actually didn't really help that much. <laughs> you know, it was, it certainly didn't affect Benfica because it could be, mainly because there wasn't a change the system was the same, the application was the same, and the personality was the same. No one was sulking about being, oh, I'm only playing because it's in the bag because we won 3-1 won won away. No one had that attitude. That is phenomenally good man management. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, but 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 Tony, I, I just don't like how he hugs everyone at the end of the game. You know, it's a bit like when your mum used to run up and give you a big kiss on the cheek in front of all your schoolmates and you tried <laughs> to act cool. It was like, not not now, not now. Jeez, mum, come on, do me a favour. Like, at the end of the game, those scenes, I mean, the Liverpool fans, I'm sure, will love it. And it is all part of his, his man management because they do have that team spirit. But Alison, you said that they might be thinking about the quadruple. I've got to be perfectly honest. He says it's unlikely and that they're not thinking about it. Maybe he's just playing with the media. Um, but going back to that man management, Tony, did you ever have a manager who was a big hugger and kisser? Um, <laughs> not towards me. <laughs> Don't take it personally. The relationship between the fans and the team and also the playing staff, I've had that and enjoyed it. And I think we all like generally to be loved, Hugh, okay, and feel important. I, what Alison's talking about for me is more about how important you are to the club and the team and your co colleagues that we're all united in this. If we're going to do something extraordinarily special, we all have to buy into it. And that comes out in spades for me. It just is there. And I think to testament to Klopp again, I'll probably echo, and you, you're asking probably the worst two people you could ever ask, two Liverpool fans. You know, I, <laughs> Jurgen Klopp makes me feel, if Liverpool got relegated, I still want him to be my manager. 
That's how I feel about Jurgen Klopp, which is ridiculous, because if Liverpool were, he would be sacked. But do you see what I mean, Hugh? Is that yeah, is that yeah. feeling that I don't want anybody else in charge of my football club with the qualities that Jurgen Klopp has. And by the way, it did create this same atmosphere at Mainz and Dortmund. OK, he didn't have the same budgets and the same ability to buy the type of player he brings in at a football club, but he's created this for the third time. This is so Shankly-like that it's extraordinary. And I mean, I don't imagine Bill Shankly to hug and kiss everybody. He wasn't made that way. But players were special to him. And Liverpool, through their history, their best teams, and I played with a good number of Liverpool players, they were made to feel the standard required at their football club, and it was driven by an incredible mentality of, you know, nothing is uh, acceptable except for winning games at Liverpool. I love that he plays to win everywhere. There is no away game for Jurgen Klopp, whether it's at Wembley, whether it's at the Etihad. That's not an away game. That's where we impose ourselves on the opposition, like we do at Anfield. Right then, that quadruple. It, it is still on. I mean, it is still on. And it would be, I think, the greatest achievement from an English team in club football because I think it is virtually impossible, but Liverpool have a great chance of doing it. Do you think it can happen? Do you still believe? You're both Liverpool fans, Alison. Why would I say no? Well, Jurgen Klopp says no. He says it's unlikely. He's not giving any... If I was in charge of the Liverpool team, I wouldn't go on about it. I wouldn't go on about it, for obvious reasons. But from the outside, the only way you can say no is to say, I think... Liverpool will wobble in the Champions League final or not even get to the Champions League final. Well, that's a silly thing to say, isn't it? They're more than capable and have the experience of doing that. Okay, the reason they won't win the quadruple is because City are going to storm and win every game left of the season. Well, they look so leggy at Wembley and Pep is not, I don't think, the master of rotation. And spotting that... That there, there is every chance that they could drop points just through sheer exhaustion. Mm. I mean, I mean, you know, that's how I see it. I, I, why would I say that's not going to happen? Uh, FA Cup final. Liverpool have already beaten Chelsea once at Wembley. Why would you say that they're incapable of of doing that again? So it's all very likely. It's not. It doesn't feel. It doesn't even feel surreal or ridiculous or outlandish. It feels entirely plausible and also magic word, momentum. I feel like Liverpool have played their worst football this season already and dropped the points they're going to drop. They've, they're in the zone. I love the quotes that came out after the semi-final against City. You had Trent Alexander-Arnold saying, oh, this is the time of year I really enjoy football. Not, oh, it's very exhausting. This is a fantastic time of year. Virgil van Dijk saying something similar. This is, this is why you're a professional player for these moments when every game matters, when it... You know, every day feels like Christmas morning. They've got the right approach in that sense. They don't. They look energised by the pressure and they're choosing not to see it as pressure. The only way I'm going to say, no, I don't think they can do it, is, is, is making, up, making up things that I don't see. I see a team in the zone, ready to go for it. And also, you know, they're blessed by so few injuries at this stage. It's, it's all coming together. Definitely. I'm 100% confident. Tony, add a dose of reality, please. Look, it's not quadruple. They've got to win the treble now. They've already achieved the first one. So I know that 
eventually becomes a quadruple, but it's a treble. Now, they're in the final. Well, what price are Liverpool? If I'm looking at this um, just on numbers from like a bookmaker, Liverpool are odds on to win the, the FA Cup final against Chelsea. Okay, and then you think Villarreal. Well, Liverpool will be certainly be favourites and could easily get to the final. And again, as adding to what Alisson said, you know, a final. I, I'm so confident of what whoever Liverpool come up against. And people have talked about the running in the in the, in the Premier League. And I feel, well, seriously, can you make an argument for any team to beat Chelsea? Uh, any team to beat Liverpool at the moment? Liverpool are capable of going on the nine 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 street winning. You know, that's what they're... This team is built to win games. I don't see draws with Liverpool. <laughs> I just don't see it. I know they drew twice against Man City, but Liverpool are not playing Man City every week in the running. They're playing teams that are far weaker than them. They are very capable, you know, of, of going on a run that is just going to be unstoppable. So I, I don't want to admit to it, but more with my sort of heart, but my head tells me this team is so capable of winning all their remaining games. Right, I can only apologise at this point to those of us that don't support Liverpool. It's been a loving, uh, it's been a disgrace, frankly. Can I just add one point? I would have said the same about Manchester United under Fergie in the running, that they would have done what they did because that's what they did. Man City, Chelsea, Arsenal under Wenger, they've all done these sort of feats. Oh, okay, not the quadruple, but when they've needed to win games, they've gone about it and they have. You know, the history's already taught us this, you know, that teams are very capable of going unbeaten and Liverpool are a team that can go unbeaten to the end of the season. And also, the quadruple has to be on. Otherwise, why would Jurgen Klopp bother with the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup? He doesn't normally, so he clearly thinks this is the season they can, they can do all four. Okay, well, the the big team standing in their way is Manchester City, beaten by Liverpool, of course, at the weekend. Um, But there is better news for their fans. Um, It's been widely reported that Erling Haaland will be joining from Borussia Dortmund, the hot striking talent in European football, signing a £500,000 a week deal to become their new centre forward. So, So would that mean game over for the rest of the Premier League? Do you know what? Maybe I'll answer this question because we've heard how incredible Liverpool are already. For me, and I've already had this argument, this is game over for the rest of the Premier League. The points that Manchester City have left out there this season, the results that they've left out there in the Champions League are mainly due to a lack of goal-scoring talent. In fact, you know, in one of their maybe weakest performances against Liverpool, they still scored twice. It wasn't their full-strength team. Um, but if they had a real genuine goal scorer, I know from River Plate, Julian Alvarez is going to be arriving as well next season. Those two players, I think, means, look, what are we talking? You know, four out of the next five, five out of the next five. I think that is definitely possible uh, with these players in their squad. Um, and all the Liverpool fans have been telling me I'm wrong. And now I'm speaking to two Liverpool fans, but I just don't see... Given everything we've said already, it's a dumb question, but I just don't see anyone stopping a Manchester City with Erling Haaland up front. Alison, I guess you're going to tell me Liverpool can. can. He's undoubtedly a fantastic player, and although (laughs) I'm less excited about him coming to the Premier League than I might have been because it's been on the cards for so long. It's like, you know, he will be coming. When will he be coming? He'll be coming soon. Okay, who will be joining? Probably Man City. Oh, and guess what? He's joining Man City. Um, But... Two things I would say. One is not every player can 
come from German League or indeed anywhere outside of England and adapt so quickly they make a magnificent contribution to their new team it's it's you know unless you're Luis Diaz it's hard to to just fit straight in and get the pace of it right also he does seem to have um slight problem with with injuries he's not one of these players who's there every you know week in week out and also you know as Jack Grealish showed slotting into City is in itself an art form I mean, I think I think Harlan seems a very intelligent player and naturally gifted player, but there is something about the way Guardiola, what he expects from you. I mean, if Harlan thinks he's coming because he's considered the the best in the world in his position, Guardiola won't tell him that. He'll say you're lacking this, you're lacking that. I need more from you in this department, and that takes players a while. So I I don't think the impact will be instantaneous. I think they'll require integration into Premier League style of football and Guardiola style of management. And so yes, he will definitely enhance City's squad and get them goals. But I don't I don't think it's going to be revolutionary. Tony, what do you think of him as a centre forward? What will he bring to City? Well, we've never really seen someone as of that stature of six foot five come into a team with so much pace and really good with both feet and an aerial threat, which I can only envisage Kevin De Bruyne getting on the ball and putting it on the sixpence for him on numerous times, um, although they don't cross the ball that much. But I think if they had someone like Erlen Ireland in their team, it would be crazy not to use and utilise someone who, who can be devastating. Um, do I think it will make City unstoppable? No. Um, I don't think, think that at all because I always believe teams are the reason why you can be successful, not just one individual. You know, when Neymar went up, um, obviously went to PSG, they dominated League A, but they were dominating that anyway. Um, there's no, there's no guarantee with one player, and again, echoing really what Alison said is bringing in one player to a manager that likes to sort of tease players and change. And, you know, I when they brought Jack Grealish, I, I wasn't sure that Raheem Sterling would play as much as he did. And we've, what we found out is that Grealish hasn't played as much as I thought he would in certainly the bigger games. So um, it, it's a, you never know with Pep. I always, The one criticism I can always feel I can say at Pep, even though he's been so successful, is that sometimes he tries to be too clever. And look, not everything is that complicated in life. And I think Erlen Ireland is an ABC and he's not a, a six foot five centre forward who just leads the line and no much more. He's way, you know, so it, it reminds me of Usain Bolt when you can't be six foot five and be a hundred metre runner and be so successful. He reminds me of him in football sense because he, he does everything that smaller players can do. You know, he's very good technically. And I, I'm just delighted he's coming to the Premier League because it's now telling me that not only are we getting some of the best players in the world into our league, that, you know, it, it's just great to see. I mean, there was a period that every best player in the world seemed to go to Spain first and foremost and stayed there. Um, so to me, I'm delighted to see him come, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that this is going to make City dominate even more than they would. They've got huge talent everywhere all over the pitch. Um, it's just another weapon that they can use. 
But I, I, I still think this will make other teams around them try and lift their standards of who they bring in and, and focus much more on a team ethic. Because I, I always believe, like I said earlier, teams win much more than individuals do. Yeah, we shall see exactly what impact he makes uh, in the Premier League. Uh, plenty of other Premier League clubs missing out on him, by the way, including... Chelsea, they made another FA Cup final after a 2-0 scoreline, which maybe flattered them against Crystal Palace at the weekend. Palace, a little wasteful. Their fans made it a great occasion. Alison Rudd, you were there. Um, how tough on Crystal Palace was this result? It's hard because most people want the underdog to win, but the, the best team won on the day. It's, I, I, felt, I felt that Patrick Vieira... He played, he sort of played five across the back, but they were very um, fluid in how they worked. They didn't have Conor Gallagher, so they had Eze running around like a so-and-so, um, trying to make up for it. They were, they were desperate to replicate the energy they have when Conor Gallagher's there, but without having him there. I felt um, everybody in the first half of Palace played extremely well. They had the best chances. They they looked they looked good. But you know, I think Tuchel really enjoyed the fact that Vieira gave him a puzzle to solve and he he revved the team up at half time, um got Reese James more involved in the midfield. Just just sort of uh, sort of out tactic Vieira in the second half. Um were more forward thinking, ran at ran at Palace more who were tiring because they'd given everything in the first half. So it, I mean, Vieira just didn't have that 90-minute plan against um, a team as packed with talent as, as Chelsea with a very, very good tactical manager. So it wasn't... It was only tough on Palace in that they won the battle of the supporters. They brought a billion flags and a billion balloons and the flares and outsang Chelsea. He really did. Chelsea fans really did look like a team. We've done that so often. They're getting slightly bored with it all. Um, but and you know, and they stayed behind. You would you would not have known which team had got through to the final because the Palace fans all stayed behind and the Chelsea fans left. You know about three minutes after the final whistle. So in that sense, it was sort of lacked romance, I suppose. But, you know, Chelsea were cleverer in that second half. And whilst Chelsea looked a little tired in the first half, they they looked like they had more energy by the end. And I focused my attention writing about Timo Werner, who was given man of the match, but a lot of people would have thought, why, why was that then? Because <laughs> he's, he's quite funny to watch, really. But... He works so hard for the team. I think this season, everyone's fallen in love with Conor Gallagher, partly because of the effort he makes. But actually, Timo Werner works even harder for, for Chelsea. He doesn't always time his runs very well. He's sometimes just that flicker of hesitation when he's one-on-one -on -one with a keeper and you think, oh, come on, don't be, don't lack confidence. You're a, you know, you're a, you're a top, top class international striker. He doesn't seem to hesitate when he plays for Germany. But often for Chelsea, there's just that he, he looks slightly uncertain, slightly nervy. But he works, unlike most strikers, he's always thinking about laying the ball off. He'll run to the byline, he'll pull it back. He will, he never stops running. He's the, he's the typical Duracell bunny of a player. He's, he runs and he runs and he runs and he tries so hard. And you could, I think you could actually make a case that he's been a flop. That he has been a flop for Chelsea, but he, no, fan, I think very few Chelsea fans would mm. would say he has because of the sheer effort he gives 
to to the team ethic. He he works and works and works. And I sort of feel if he hadn't been playing, then Palace might have stood a chance. But you know, at the moments when Chelsea's energy dipped, his did not. He just harasses and harasses, and he's just a pain in the neck for the opposition. So um, anyway, Chelsea Chelsea deserved their win. So it wasn't really tough on Palace at all. Can I just say something now? This is my, maybe the craziest thing I'm ever going to say on radio. In France, there was a film called Didier, and this was a story, it was a comedy, and it was about a football player that was actually thought he was a dog. And the film was about him chase. <laughs> and honestly, the film is hilarious. It's a French film, and only the French could do this film, by the way. And the dog just ru- played football, and it just ran everywhere on the pitch. Just run everywhere. Chase everybody. When the ball went somewhere else, he would chase after it. And it's a comedy, and it's really funny. And it, every time I've watched it, it reminds me of Timo Verma. Uh, <laughs> honestly, because like Alison said, he's running and chasing. You can applaud him all day long. Because it's, it's relentless. He never stops. And he has a sort of feeling that every time he gets on a one-on-one, he's going to miss it. You know, he's finishing. I mean, man, and I did actually chuckle uh, at the end of the game at the weekend when he was given man in a match. So I thought, cool, that's the first time I've ever seen a man in a match for someone who just run everywhere <laughs> and really didn't have much quality in what he'd done. Um, but sorry to my reference for Timo Werner on Didier, the film, the French film that I talked about. <laughs> um, so hang on, hang on, hang on. We need to clarify this, Tony. So is the, is You need the, to watch is, the film, Alison, Is the film about a man who thinks he's a dog or a dog who thinks he's a man? No, it's about a man that thinks he's a dog and he he acts like a dog. So there's clips in the film where he, he, he jumps does up he on the his settee. Leg? Does he cock his oh, leg? Oh, he does all the things that really? dogs do. Oh, okay. Alison, please watch it because it's so funny. Does he lick his own bottom? <laughs> it's so funny because everything that dogs do, he does. And does he lick his man, own bottom? Man. And he actually, well, um, I don't remember that in it, okay. but I remember him jumping on the settee and things like that. Harry would jump on on the settee and sit there and it was the acting so look it's a very odd reference I've used but it, it was to describe someone that just chases everything everywhere the game itself hugely disappointed in Crystal Palace because they got embroiled in a tactical game which Tuchel loves you know he, he quite clearly was thinking well they're not really hurting us there's no purpose in the Palace way of playing and and I and I felt Chelsea were always comfortable and when there was a bit of moment of quality Chelsea would open them up and I I was so disappointed because I felt under Vieira this season Palace have really had that ability to change in the way they play quite quickly and be a threat they didn't get any anything they never laid a glove on Chelsea in any shape or form which was the big disappointment for me because I I I played in the semi-final for Chelsea back in 94 against Luton at Wembley and there was an incredible atmosphere from the Chelsea fans and it was like it was like a pre-season friendly for them it just felt like that so huge disappointment in a way that Palace never really went for the juggler against Chelsea. Look, they'd had a huge game, very demanding. I know that Tuchel made some changes against Real Madrid. And I thought, if you're ever going to have a go, go at Chelsea, even if it's some of the second string players, or second string, because they're all top quality players. That's a pretty stupid thing to say. But if you're ever going to go at Chelsea, I thought it was Wembley this weekend. Ah, but I would say the back three for Chelsea were... Astonishingly good. Yeah, Christensen they really were. Christensen, well, Christensen well, played yeah. well for once, and he, he yeah. likes that position where he's in the middle. They put Reese James as a centre 
back rather than a wing back yeah. to deal with the Worked case really of Sahar. Well. Sahar didn't get a sniff, really. No. I know even... I'm worried about saying words like sniff now because I'm thinking that they're, they're all going to be sniffing each other's bottoms. <laughs> watch the film Didier Hugh. If you get a bit of time, watch it. There is one thing that I wanted to take away from the weekend in the FA Cup. A lot's been made of these stats highlighted by journalist Glenn Moore this weekend. Um, he said, since the Premier League has started, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City or Manchester United will have won 28 of 30 Premier League titles and 26 of 30 FA Cups. And look, we've had all the arguments about the European Super League and coefficients in Europe and stuff like that. I just wondered what your thoughts were on the accessibility to trophies for most clubs. Are trophies now inaccessible? What do you think, Tony? Not for the majority, no. I think it's incredibly rare when someone, I mean, the obvious, you know, mentioning Leicester winning a title, you know, it's just not going to happen. The game is built on the major clubs in this country. And as they become more wealthier, they attract the best players. It's, you know, I... You know, we talk about Erlen Haaland going to Man City. I can remember Fergie breaking number of records in the transfer market, bringing people like Dwight York to the club, bringing Andy Cole, bringing Ruud van Nesteroy and many, many others. Berbatov, when he was playing his best football for Spurs, as just a normal signing. Look, clubs have done this. Liverpool done it all through the 80s, bringing in people like John Barnes. They would break records and go for the best players they, that were available. And I just think if you become one of them top teams, obviously investment is vital to that, then there isn't really much stopping them continually having success. I think it's just what what, what it is. What about the other teams, though, Alison? If you don't support one of these major clubs... Um, what's the point in all of these competitions and trophies in many ways? You're waiting for one trophy in a lifetime, maybe. Well, I mean, that's the part of the beauty of football is that even though we all know, without that stat being read out, we all know in our hearts who's most likely to win the trophies. Every team that enters believes they can. And the magic is along the way. And there will you know, not every, along the way, there will be big clubs that lose out necessarily because you only get two in the final. So there'll be there'll be knockout blows along the way, and it will still feel worth competing in the day. The day that you know teams. I mean, it's 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 ebbed and flowed, especially well. Both domestic cups have ebbed and flowed in terms of how club managers treat it. You know, put, mm. putting out virtually a youth team or, you know, sim- simply using it to bring back players who've been injured for a, a run out. But then it, you think, oh, this is the end, this is the end. And then suddenly it spurts back into the romantic psyche, if you like. And it, it, I mean, I think this year, both cup competitions have really, really, the, everyone involved has given it everything and the fans have bought into it and there's produced some exciting football penalty shootouts and so on and it's been great fun and as long as the journey to get to the end has been delivered with you know real zest and go for it and 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 respect of the competition then it doesn't matter so much it's if it's 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 as if if the whole thing was pedestrian if the whole thing was just a ho-hum here we are again then it would matter more but it is punctuated by surprises along the way. And even, you know, Leicester winning last summer, that was 
you know, they're not really one of the big clubs, are they? And it was a, a competition they really, really wanted to win. And that was a great day out for the fans, as they say. Those moments still happen. Those <laughs> moments still happen. And and yes, it's the big clubs, but you don't know which one it'll be. And there's always a different narrative attached to who's there. So this time around, it will be the quadruple narrative. And that will change the texture of it and it will feel different. So it's, even if it is two very familiar names competing in the final what it means to either of them and their managers. And, you know, so many people get sacked after an FA Cup final. I mean, it's... And it's often a goodbye for various players. And Mm. you know the world is watching. I don't think it matters if it's a big team, two big clubs there, if the getting to that point is something that everyone else can watch the final and know they were part of it. That's what matters, isn't it? I'll let the fans decide, I think, on that one. Uh, Listen, that's the FA Cup covered. More to come in terms of the Premier League will react to all the action there and discuss the sacking of Sean Dyche at Burnley next. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So the big news, I guess, since we last spoke, after 10 years in the job, Sean Dyche was sacked as manager of Burnley after losing five of his last six top flight games 18th at the time, four points from safety after losing, of course, to Norwich. Now, remember, he's had a great time at Burnley. He helped them achieve their first European qualification in 51 years by finishing seventh back in 2018 for the weekend's game at West Ham, the one-all draw, which means they're now three points from safety. Um, You had the under-23s coach Mike Jackson in charge, assisted by academy director Paul Jenkins, the under-23s goalkeeper coach Connor King and club captain Ben Mee. The reason I highlight all of those is that there is no immediate big managerial figure to take the the place, if you like, of Sean Dyche, which begs the question really, Tony, was it the right decision if there's no immediate plan in place? I personally thought it was insane to do what they did. I just didn't get it at all. Because look, if you don't believe in a manager, Hugh, and you get to January and you think, 
you know, you, you must have a meeting, but obviously between the directors, the chairman, all the people involved at the top end of the football club, and you, you have a meeting and you sit there and you have a, a vote on whether Sean Dyche stays. That's how most sackings come about. And sometimes you'll have an owner who just pulls the plug anyway without the rest of the backing of whoever, the directors and, uh, and the CEO. Um, and I found that really strange that if you go through January, especially of a club of Burnley stature, where the guy that's been at the helm for so long and has always found a way, apart from once, to stay in the Premier League, that you make that call. I, I just thought it, it really... But then, if you look at the bigger picture, Hugh, you, you sort of feel, well, why would Burnley have such an old squad? And why were so many players out of contract at the end of the season? And, you know, everything about Burnley, the lack, lack of activity in the transfer market, I don't expect them to go and spend vast amounts of money, but everything felt it's going been going backwards at Burnley. I just didn't get, with eight games to go why you would sack your manager if anyone had earned the stripes to stay until the end of the season you make that call in the summer it just it just doesn't add up the only way you can answer or maybe justify the decision is if Burnley stayed up because every other reason that I've looked at logically it makes no sense at all I get this gut feeling that Sean Dyche told them he wasn't going to be there next season and they actually thought, given the way results had gone, maybe if he leaves early, it not only helps them for the end of this season, but also for next season if they get someone in now. Because I can't understand it in any other context. I really can't. Look, we'll talk about replacements in a second. But Alison, what, what level of job do you think Sean Dyche will return to when he comes back to management? And what, what did you make of his time in charge of Burnley? I was a huge fan of his, actually, because they're not they're not big club they don't have much of a budget but they had um, a clear identity and that's something we praise to the hilt when it's one of the posh managers mm. oh they've got an identity look at that we know what City play like they've got an identity and and it's really important to impose that identity discover what it is make you know make the resources you have work and they can work better than they would do just sort of hurl together because you're you're giving them something to work towards a template so they know what to do you know Burnley I mean Burnley it's really funny that they were when they were bought out by the the latest consortium the new owners said they wanted they wanted people across I think it was Asia to buy Burnley Burnley shirts they wanted Burnley to become a worldwide name they felt there was a room for growth there that Burnley could become famous across the globe and shirt sales could go crazy and I it's that's not what Burnley are is it at all Burnley are a small town in Lancashire who have been just 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 overperforming what you they should do that is down to to answer your question that is down to Sean Dyche it wasn't a Burnley man but came in understood the the town understood what his limitations would be in terms of cash to spend and just developed a, a club that would be a team that would be really hard to beat and not scared. I think that's probably what I've liked most about Dyche's teams and there's a reason why it was Burnley that ended that wonderful home run for Liverpool. They weren't scared of that. They mm. deliberately He deliberately encouraged the team to not be scared of anyone or anything or any status to just go go for it and as long as you do as you're told as long as we work together and work hard we will get through I know Tony feels they've become a bit of a dinosaur and 
if you're to survive in the Premier League, you have to be able to press. You can't sit back and soak up pressure yeah. all the time. I know in that sense, he probably looks like tactically he was falling behind. But I, th- I would argue he knew what he had and what the best way to utilise it. And he didn't have a team that could perform the high press. Yeah. Not, not not without bringing in lots of new faces and spending a bit of dosh. And, and also if you're Burnley and you're teetering on the edge of will you stay or go in the Premier League, you, you can't afford to start doing these sort of tactical changes. You've got to stick with what you know, I think. Well, he's, he's sort of changed when he brought in Maxwell Cornell, you know, obviously from Leon, and that added something slightly different. He's got away from Ashley Barnes, Rodriguez and Chris Wood had left the football club. So he's sort of started to change. What I would say, Hugh... I think he needs to take a leaf out out of David Moyes' book. Go and learn a bit more about football. Become a little bit more adventurous. Take a a sabbatical from the game and come back and evolve slightly with the... I, I don't believe it's possible now to be successful as a manager playing quite a pragmatic style the laws of the game are so more advantageous for attacking football you're getting way more decisions whether that's added in with VAR and just generally getting decisions I think you have to become that and I think David Moyes has definitely done that and that's why West Ham are a completely different animal now as a side they have so much more about them Um, and I think Sean can go down that road He's he's a smart man he's been a brilliant manager for Burnley and did earn the right to try and keep them up, which he was taken away from him this season. But I do think there's more to come from Sean Dyche long term because I think he's he's smart enough to know that the game plan of being quite direct and quite uh, um, a, a side that will make it always difficult for you, be good at set pieces, I think he needs to have a bit more flair in his team and be a bit more higher up the pitch more often because they lacked any chance of possession. You know, their, their possession-based style was... and. Some might go, well, that's not the most important thing. But having possession higher up the pitch is a big thing because you can get a lot more advantages in the game from winning, you know, free kicks, set pieces higher up the pitch. And I think that's his next challenge for me. Very quickly, finally, on Burnley, um, just looking through with the bookmakers, some of the names mentioned to replace Sean Dyche. Unsurprisingly, Sam Allardyce, uh, their former player, Michael Duff, Daniel Farker, the former Norwich boss, Wayne Rooney, of course, at Derby at the moment, Rafa Benitez, who was sacked a little bit earlier on in the season by Everton, and Nuno Espirito Santo, of course, sacked by Spurs. They've all been mentioned. Um, Alison, would you go for any of those? If I was a Burnley fan, the only name I would that would make my eyes light up a little bit because they would be heavily dulled by the sacking of Sean Knight would be Rafa Benitez because he would have one heck of a point to prove, wouldn't he? And uh, that's that's probably the only thing that could save them now is someone coming in with that sort of agenda. That I don't, I don't, you know, Rafa would say, right, I don't, I don't care what, what we've got here. This is, this has to happen. And uh, um, yeah, otherwise, I, I, I mean, Daniel Farker seems a very strange uh, name to be plucked out. I mean, implies that they're accepting that they're going down and they're going to rebuild with him because he's mm. one thing he has proven is that he can get you out of the championship. But so did Sean Dyche. So I'm with you, Hugh. I think other things were going on other than pure results there. It was. I mean, when the takeover happened, everyone thought, um, yeah, I, think, I think we're forgetting, everyone thought Daesh might leave then, actually. Mm. So it's it's uh, maybe their relationship has been choppy ever since. But I mean, Benitez would be fun. Um, <laughs> and I think, I think, I don't, I think, I think Allardyce is 
sort of shifted away from... He doesn't want to be linked with it. I don't think he. I don't think he's going to do it. Do you know what, Hugh? You're asking the impossible question because management's next appointments is just it's you're second guessing and having no idea what the club are thinking. You know, because for me, it's it's not about Burnley going down this year. It's be, it, is it going to be going to, going to be a club that stay in the championship and go to League One within the next five years? which isn't out there around realms of possibility. You know, they're, they're a side that could easily go down and be down for a long time and even go down again uh, because things will change dramatically at Burnley. So I, I don't quite know what the board are thinking. You know, are they going to go with, you know, someone with a, a record that is a firefighter who can go and get results very quickly? Um, you could certainly argue, well, Sam might have been able to do that. Rafa, yes. Uh, Daniel Farker, I... His Norwich team, I, I never, ever felt they were anything but a championship team, even when they came up. Um, so it, it's an impossible question, Hugh. I have no idea because without knowing what the board are thinking and people that are running the football club, what what you, you're just guessing. It's coin flipping on yeah. every manager. And I, 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 I just don't, I have no idea what, they're, what way they're going. No one knows what budgets they've got when they go down. You know, they've got 12 players out of contract. 12. You're basically buying a new football club with no personnel. So I've, and most of them, you know, like Tarkovsky, at their age of their players they're losing. I think he's the youngest of all the players whose contracts are up is him at 29. Uh, I, I, the club has been mismanaged way before what's happened this season. That's for that's clear as day. Tony, I don't like sitting on the fence. I love guesses. Okay, so if you're going to stay on this podcast, you're going to have to start guessing a lot more. That's all I'm going to say. I don't want to be guessing and just throwing a name out there that I just totally don't think is going to be the manager. Because to me, how many times have we been, Hugh, have we talked about possibilities and? Someone out of the blue comes into a job and we're going, well, where did that come from? No one has mentioned yeah. him. And that's that's exactly how I feel about management. It's a, it's a guessing game and no more. I, I, need, I need to know the logic behind their thinking at a football club. And I clearly haven't got a clue what they're thinking at Burnley. The top four race seems to be just about a weekly joust. We, we're going to have to update it every single Monday or Tuesday uh, until the end of the season. Arsenal and Spurs both losing to South Coast opponent. Arsenal beaten 1-0 at Southampton. Spurs beaten 1-0 at home by Brighton. I'll start with Arsenal. Three defeats in a row for them, Tony. Um, have they destroyed their top four hopes with this run? What's happened is when the pressure mounts and you get to the running and you, you, what you can't do is have relegation form. And that's exactly what they've done, Arsenal. And you could make a case for uh, Fraser Forster done brilliant at the weekend, pulled off two or three great saves. Well, sorry, that's just a, a sad reflection of the game. You didn't punish them. You weren't clinical enough. And I, I think that's the worrying thing for Arteta is that, yes, he has basically a very young team going into pressurised situation to get a top four place and they're falling apart. That would be the biggest concern if I was an Arsenal fan of... Why has this happened now when so much positive stuff had happened from beyond Christmas and going into this new year that they showed they were a very capable team and now it's just all 
ebbed away. It's disappeared. And now it looks like panic stations. So I, I can't see Arsenal's form changing round now. I think Tottenham, for me, are the team that are capable of going on a run and look far more. Look, that front three of Tottenham are very, very strong. And Brighton did a brilliant job on Spurs the weekend. Um, but when, you, when you're looking back, I think they're going to regret so much Arsenal because to lose the games they had, you know, in the manner that's happened, I, I just think they're going to pay a huge price for. What do you think, Alison? Was it a bit of a blip for Spurs this weekend? Are you as well confident that they will be fourth? It's hard to be confident with Spurs, isn't it? I was I was showing my kids my intro from the Villa game when <laughs> Spurs won four nil, and um, I said, "Look at read this, read this." I, sh- I showed it them after Brighton had defeated uh, Spurs, right? And my intro was like full of praise, 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 praise for Spurs. They found the missing grit. They've got this astonishing front three that Tony mentioned. They they can be unstoppable. And then I said, or they'll lose to Brighton in the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday. Because that is, that is it. And it's like, really? That was supposed to be a bit of a joke? But it's true. They are a joke. Spurs are a joke. You can... You follow up, uh, you follow up performances like they've been having recently, and you think they've got into the groove. Great manager, great players. Ah, but they will. They, <laughs> they just seem incapable of. Oh, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about that club, and it's sort of spooky that it seems to be a Spurs thing, and it doesn't matter who, who is who is running it. it it's they they limp when they should run and they fall when they should walk they ridiculous absolutely ridiculous so i'm giving up predictions about spurs because they sort of do the opposite of what they should do which is which is daft although having said that brighton played incredibly well but then tell me a game where brighton haven't played incredibly well this season even when they lose they play incredibly well that's what they do they just play incredibly well they always score goals i agree i think on paper spurs have more of more on the pitch and a more experienced manager, so they ought to be able to do it. I've got a sneaking suspicion while those two battle it out with their weirdness, Man United will creep through and steal it. So isn't it incredible? I wouldn't predict a manager and you wouldn't predict Spurs going to top four or or anybody. (laughs) Well, I just said said United. I just said United more likely. Yes, yeah, I... I don't. I don't see United. I think there's way too much wrong there, Hugh. For them to get fourth spot would feel incredible because I've seen United nearly. Well, I've watched nearly every game this season, and I, I cannot envisage them making top four because, as much as I mean, the weekend's game against Norwich. The space that's in midfield and the two fullback areas of Manchester United are so open that they cannot get results. They are going to get beat, uh, you know, a couple of times before the end of the season. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, but I can't believe they're still in it. I can't believe we're still mentioning the Manchester United three points behind Spurs. They have played a game more. They go to Liverpool tonight, being Tuesday. So if you're listening on Wednesday, you probably know the results already. Uh, very quickly before the end, we end the podcast, um, Manchester. United had a 3-2 comeback win against Atalanta in the Champions League earlier on in the season. They then lost 5-0 to Liverpool at Old Trafford at the time, expertly predicted by Paul Scholes, their former midfielder, who said, if you play like that, Liverpool will win four or five. 
after that 3-2 win over Norwich, Tony, what do you think the score will be against Liverpool if they play the same way as they did at the weekend? Well, I'd like to think United would be a lot more tactical astute. You know, you cannot leave space for Liverpool. They'll exploit every... You know, the wide areas of Liverpool are really, really dangerous and the wide areas of Man United are very vulnerable. So I can only see, you know, a, a victory. I don't, you know, look, saying fours and fives is a pretty extreme result. But I still think Liverpool are well capable and I'd be surprised if it wasn't by a couple. I think three or four. I think they'll score three or four. I'll, I'll, well, do you know, it, it's... As Klopp pointed out very astutely, I think, everyone had a go at United for allowing Norwich to score twice. But... You know, like he said, we only we only narrowly beat Norwich. It's it's all about if you're if you're considered to be in a bad place, even winning isn't seen as good enough. It's it is a bit harsh that you did you know you did get a win, Hugh. No, 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 no. I was very specific about this. They beat Atalanta three two. That is a win, but they played very poorly. They beat Norwich three two. That is a win, but they left gap space. They allowed Norwich so much joy in their attack that if they play that way against Liverpool, so that's the if, they will get hammered. They will get battered again. It will be another embarrassment. It will be one for the ages for the Liverpool fans and for the Manchester United fans never to forget for the negative reasons. I just, Liverpool are so happy, so confident right now. We spoke about the quadruple a little bit earlier on. It's not just the momentum that I think you spoke about, Alison, and that groove that Liverpool in. It's really being happy about it. It's skipping into each game. And by thrashing your your big rivals, Manchester United, it is one of those. You, you don't feel the pain. You don't feel the soreness because you're enjoying it so much. And so are the fans. And actually, I think a big win over Manchester United, again, just keeps those smiles go from wide to even wider. So I think Liverpool will try and lay down a marker, set the tone for the rest of the season, like they did against City at the weekend. I'm absolutely dreading it, in short. But Lisa, listen, very quickly, a couple of points to raise with you. And Manchester United, speaking to the Premier League, it's reported in the Times, expressing their dissatisfaction with being forced to play three season-defining fixtures in nine days. So they've got their home game with Chelsea moved to Thursday, April the 28th. That's after Chelsea reached the FA Cup final. So, of course, they've got Liverpool tonight. They then have Arsenal at the weekend, Manchester United. Then they will face Chelsea next Thursday. Um, Tony, do you think Manchester United have a point here? Should they have a right to complain? Um, It's always difficult, Hugh, because of... Look, teams sometimes get the rough end of the stick, and I think that's the case for United at this time of year. Other teams have complained many years... For many years, they've been doing this. I just think it's fallen badly for them, and they're all three really big games for United. They probably think, oh, this is not good for us. But you've got... There's no solution to this. You know, they've got to go... Well, what about if you look to the positive and say, what about if we won these three games back-to-back... What an incredible achievement that would be when we needed to get big results. Um, I think you've got to be really careful putting a slant of negativity around too often when you're a club of the stature of Manchester United. Yeah, they've got to say... I think it's a positive, to be honest. Yeah, I think think it's a positive in that I often feel this. Sometimes you see a team, um, they have a must-win game coming up. Say they're a relegation side. 
And it's a relegation six pointer on the Wednesday night. But at the weekend, one of the sides has got battered off Manchester City or Liverpool. And everyone goes, oh, that's the worst possible pre- preparation. You sort of say, well, no, it isn't. You know, they, they may have been given a masterclass, but they played against such exceptional players at such a high tempo that actually they've raised their level during parts of that game. And they can take that level of intensity into the next fixture and probably go into the first half at least at level above, maybe their opposition who might not have played uh, such a good team the previous weekend. I think if Manchester United play three great teams on the bounce, it's one of those. The standard is set very highly and you have to lift your game to it. And I actually think it helps them, to be perfectly honest. So I'm not complaining about it as a Man United fan. I also don't think they'll win any of the games. So it doesn't matter when they are, to be perfectly honest. Um, very, very, very finally, Arsenal go to Chelsea on Wednesday night. That obviously a big game in terms of the top four. Just on Arsenal, we mentioned them already, after their defeats, do you think it is a must-win for Mikel Arteta's side, Alisson? The next game's Manchester United, West Ham, Leeds and Spurs after that. I think it is a must-win, but I don't think they will win. It's I bet they've, they've hit a weird rut and I don't know that they know how to get out of it. It's really difficult to give a valid reason you know, and what we've witnessed in the last week or two with Arsenal to them to go to Stamford Bridge here and get a result. I mean, it would it would feel like, especially with a a very young side, because Alan Anson, who once said you can't win anything with kids. Do you know what really annoys me about that phrase is that it's basically true. You know, apart from a one-off, most times, you know, when you're learning and you're growing as a player and as a young man in in a football team, you don't gel and you make mistakes. Just generally, that's called experience. You know, getting that, the, them type of uh, things out of the way. I, I, I find it really difficult to, to make an argument at all for Arsenal. There's no evidence at all that they can go there and what, what we've witnessed in the last three games. Um, the Brighton result was a dreadful. Maybe even more so the Crystal Palace one where, you know, one position left back had changed and it just fell apart and there was no answer. And I, and I think that's probably where Arsenal are. I, I don't, I can't see him go to the bridge and win that one. Couple of big games for us to talk about on Thursday. Then Chelsea against Arsenal, Liverpool against Manchester United. We'll react to all of that and look ahead to another big weekend in the Premier League on Thursday. Thank you for listening. We'll see you then. But remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, rate us, leave us a review, make sure you're subscribed and also subscribe to the Times and the Sunday Times. Sign up today. You'll get yourself one month free. Check it out. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We'll see you soon. Take care. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.